Roger Earl was a documentarian who managed to capture intense BDSM and kink sessions in some of the truest forms of erotic cinema verite, often polarizing and definitely shocking viewers. Born to Raise Hell was made at the same time as the other gay landmark films. However, Born to Raise Hell's focus is primarily on gay male sadomasochistic practices and mostly devoid of any traces of tenderness or romance. Val Martin was a fixture in the middle of the golden era of gay porn, starring in various films that teetered on S&M. In the BDSM subsection, Val Martin was a god. In this episode, we're going to celebrate Roger Earl, a documentarian of BDSM and gay erotic films who strategically planned in pre-production to ensure realism the minute he held action. We will also celebrate his film, Born to Raise Hell, a movie that echoes the experimental filmmaking techniques of the 1960s undergrounds and its presentation of a sexual subculture, where the experimentation lies. And finally, we will celebrate Val Martin, the underground gay porn icon that helped bring out the inner kink in many gay men during the early days of gay porn. This is Demystifying Gay Porn. My name is Ike Grande, and if you watch gay porn, I've definitely helped to get off. Before we continue, I want to once again remind you to help this channel by clicking the subscribe button and selecting the bell icon for notifications to see more content like this. Every little bit helps and I absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. Roger Earl was born Roger Warnix in January of 1939 in Barstow, California. Earl grew up in Ladlow, a town of 35 people, 50 miles outside of Barstow. He was the only child in the town and remembers being spoiled rotten by his parents and the people in the town. His father owned a truck stop, garage, motel, and cafe. In an interview with Jack Fritzscher of Drummer Magazine, Earl mentioned being sexually active early on and that truck drivers who came into town knew of his sexual prowess. Later on as a young man in Hollywood, Earl got a job at NBC after meeting a man named George Lawson at a Hollywood Hills party. This man George was a set carpenter for NBC and by the end of the night, Earl was whipping and spanking George's ass near the basement of the house. George would then tell Earl that he and his friends wanted to make a very heavy S&M film. Earl said he would do it if they made the film with him. But George wanted nothing to do with the project. However, this is where Earl would meet his future business partner, Terry LeGrant. After spending some time learning the craft from camera operators and producers at NBC, in 1974, Earl took out a personal loan of $10,000 to finance a film that would become Born to Raise Hell. A good amount of time went by before Earl started his next production. This is because of trying to recoup a lot of the money that went into making Born to Raise Hell. Luckily, Earl still had his job at NBC and kept working. His next project was Men of Midway. Hey, Terry. The vacation's over. Wake up. Hey, hey, get up. Hey, listen to me. There'll be some changes around here. Changes? Yeah. Now listen. Now that your old lady's gone, we're going to have to put your ass out on the street. Get some bucks coming in here. No! Look at, no! Don't argue with me. No way! As long as you're living in this dumb, no do what way. I tell you to do. The film was a lighter fare than Earl had previously offered, but with all of his lighter projects, Earl would include hints of S&M. 
His filmography would grow, with such classics like Gay Racula and Chain Reactions to name a few, preparing the audience for an intense European series that was unparalleled at the time. By this time, Earl was working as an associate producer on The Dean Martin Show for NBC and would then become Martin's road manager when he went on tour. During a Palladium tour in London, Earl asked Martin's manager, who was also in London, if he can stay on in Europe. Martin's manager agreed, and Earl and Terry plotted to shoot a film in Europe. Between the both of them, they put their credit cards together and began shooting a film that would eventually become the Dungeons of Europe trilogy. When they were done and they arrived back in the United States, Earl began separating everything into three films. Earl and Legrand shot for 10 days in London, Amsterdam, Berlin, and East Berlin, shooting at all hours of the day, capturing anything and everything they could. Earl made some of his best work shooting in West Berlin in 1989. They went to leather bars and asked people if they were interested in being in a film. Earl felt meeting people in their element ensured that they were really into the scene. Terry Legrand, Earl's business partner founded Marathon Films and gifted it to Earl when Legrand went back to school for a degree in medicine and social work. Legrand would go on to start a halfway house for men who had been released from prison with AIDS. Legrand became very active in the AIDS fight and lost all interest in the film business. Earl began to work for the Tom of Finland Foundation and ran a small mail-order business selling Marathon titles. When the industry began to shift to DVDs, Earl sold all of his titles and rights to Steven Tushin and his company Bijou Video. Roger Earl is alive and well today in Los Angeles. In an interview with Markle Seidelman, Earl says he wakes up from time to time with plots and plans for new films, but doesn't have the ambition or physical ability to make another film at 76. Earl retired in 2007 and is proud of the contributions that he has made to gay porn. He rightfully received the Lifetime Achievement Award by Gay VN in 2009. Earl has gone on to say in an interview that if it wasn't for Fred Halstead and L.A. Plays Itself, he would have never made Born to Raise Hell. With around 45 films and videos in his roster, Roger Earl is a documentarian who searched out not models, but people who practiced what you saw in his films. Roger Earl is a director whose bold images and risk-taking films will forever live on as part of an era. Fun fact, Roger Earl said he had already visualized Born to Raise Hell after his first meeting with George Lawson, the man who wanted to make a heavy SNN film. He had already seen the motorcycle guy with the tattoo, Born to Raise Hell. But did you know the first choice for the lead in the film was a cult studio model named Paul Garrier, who vintage porn lovers would remember better as Liedermeister? Roger Earl was working at NBC when he began to put what would become Born to Raise Hell together. He was assisted by the crew that worked at NBC with him and eventually met Terry Legrand, who helped produce the film, and eventually became Earl's business partner, 
on all future films under the production name Marathon Films. Earl set out to find a cast of men who were not models, but were actually into the BDSM scene. Once they had their leading man in Val Martin, the rest of the cast fell into place. Earl secured a personal loan of about $10,000 to add to the production. The first half of the film was shot at a leather and country bar in the San Fernando Valley called The Truck Stop, which was demolished shortly after the film was made. The movie begins with some of the most creative credits I've seen yet in a gay porn film. The models have their names written on their bodies in a close-up before they are revealed. And then buckle up, because just like that, we're right into the film. In fact, there really isn't much I can show of the film. We meet Val Martin, who plays the brutal sadist, who is sexually relentless in his treatment of the men in the film. There is a loose narrative to the film, through what it seems like non-stop action. Every scene is more surprising than the last. Oh, what are you doing? Oh! Water sports, spanking, men tied up, boot sniffing, nipple clamping, CBT, and that's just the first half of the film. The film builds up to Martin taking a young, naive guy standing outside of the club on a motorcycle ride. When they get to Martin's place, Martin excuses himself while the young guy sits down and looks through a magazine with a whole bunch of crazy stuff inside, like gas masks, bondage. The haunting music begins, and Martin re-enters the room, dressed in leather, and takes the young man hostage in his dungeon. Then it just gets more intense, with head shaving, more bondage, hot wax, and fisting. In the last part of the film, we see Martin realizing this young man he took home was a policeman's son and they come and find him and give him the same treatment. Then, the surprise twist ending. If this seems short, trust me, it's because you need to see it to believe it. Director Roger Earl managed to make one of the most underground-looking porn features in history. To make it disturbing on another level, the scenes of water sports, explicit torture, and fisting are juxtaposed with surf music, giving it that this-shouldn't-be-happening feel. But at this point in the video, I should point out that all of the sex and BDSM was consensual. It was just that well done that it feels frighteningly real. Born to Raise Hell is not reliant on the tropes of experimental film like crazy cuts and audio techniques, except for the dream sequence. Earl's experimentation lies more in the message of the film. The severe discipline in the film are all performed with manic intensity that it accosts the viewer, unlike any other gay film. And Earl and the theaters playing the film must have known this. Before the film begins, there is a disclaimer stating, the management of this theater is not responsible for any psychological effects it may have on you as a viewer. Earl has said he edited Born to Raise Hell, a grueling three to four weeks, on his dining room table, cut from original 16mm film on movie scopes. Born to Raise Hell was done, and Earl and Legrand tried to open the film at the Century Theater three times, getting shut down each time by the police. Born to Raise Hell was glowingly reviewed by The Hollywood Reporter, however reviews were extremely polarized at best. 
Many viewers who understood S&M, including straight viewers, enjoyed the film. Many viewers who didn't understand S&M couldn't grasp the idea that beating people was a way of making love for some. Born to Raise Hell was also sold on Super 8 to a home audience. Born to Raise Hell is the pinnacle of all gay S&M pornography, both past and present. A production so brilliant that it continues to serve as the basis of modern S&M videos. Born to Raise Hell screened at the Museum of Modern Art, joining the ranks of Fred Halstead and his films. To this day, the state of California strictly prohibits the filmic representation of water sports and fistfucking. Was Born to Raise Hell responsible for this? Doubtful, but not impossible. If you want to watch Born to Raise Hell today, it is available in all its glory through Bijou Video. Let me know what you think. Val Martin was born Velata Martinelli in Brazil on July 19, 1939. He was the only son in a family of 18 sisters. Martin married at the age of 14 and had two sons. Martin found his way to New York City, where according to an article in In Touch from 1981, he would become a New York City policeman, a stockbroker, a dancer, a banker, eventually settling on part owner of Probe, a Los Angeles disco featured in the film American Gigolo. While casting for his film Born to Race Hell, Roger Earl discovered Martin at a leather bar and approached him about being the star. Earl knew he had the perfect look for the part. When Earl finally worked up the nerve to approach Martin, he gave him his card and they set up a phone call for the following morning. Martin agreed and began his porn career, helping to support his 18 siblings and two kids back home in South America. Martin became very involved in the underground gay and leather scene. He also became the unofficial face of Drummer Magazine, an American magazine focusing on leather sex, leatherwear, rubber gear, S&M, bondage, and discipline, appearing on its covers and at their events. Drummer organized events called Drummer Slave Auctions. On April 1976, the LAPD raided Drummer Slave Auction at the Mark IV Baths where Martin served as the auctioneer. The LAPD arrested 42 patrons, including Martin, John Embry, the publisher of Drummer, John Barney, the magazine's editor-in-chief, Roger Earl, Terry Legrand, and Fred Halstead, charging them all with trafficking in human slaves. A felony. The event was infamous at the time and remains the stuff of legend. In 1979, Martin was so popular in the underground community, the staff at Drummer appointed Martin as Mr. Drummer. Martin would go on to appear in a handful of other films, most notably working with Fred Halstead in Sex Tool, and later with Wigfield Poole in his film Moving, where he would fist Casey Donovan. On April 13, 1985, Balada Martinelli, Val Martin, died of AIDS. His friend and filmmaker Roger Earl made a patch on the AIDS quilt in his memory and called Martin a leatherman and a gentleman. 
While Martin was not the classically handsome look that dominated early porn, he was a treasure to men in sub-communities of the gay underground. While Martin was not a mainstream model, he went on to be a part of several films that have gone on to have classic status and will live on with every view. You've been listening to Demystifying Gay Porn. I am your host, Ike Grande. Demystifying Gay Porn can be found on every podcast directory, as well as YouTube. You can reach me at Demystifying Gay Porn on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Telegram, Discord, Hive. And if you like what you're watching or listening to and want to be a part of the process, head over to patreon.com backslash Demystifying Gay Porn where you can help support this podcast and YouTube channel so I can continue making content like the video or podcast you've just enjoyed. As always, don't forget to subscribe wherever you are, give this video or podcast a like, leave a comment anywhere, letting me know what else you'd like me to cover. Once again, this is Demystifying Gay Porn. My name is Ike Grande, and if you watch gay porn, I've definitely helped you get off. Cheers. Cheers.